Hello and welcome to Odds and Evenings, a podcast about mathematics, puzzles, numbers and games. My name is Alex, I am one of your two hosts. There are two hosts, I'm one of them, and the other one is... Am I number two? I'm Alaric. Hello. Uh, no, I just said I was one of them, I didn't say I was number one. Mm. Of the set of hosts, I am... I forgot all my set notation. Would it be the, the big N-looking one? Big... N- what, no, no, a member of. I'm the funny-looking sideways oh. E. Yes. Yes, set some groups and so on. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Back at work. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alex was at mine in Worcester this I weekend. I was at Alex's house, and there were plans to record. The plans didn't come through. That is my Ooh. fault. It's mm-hmm. also largely my fault why this episode is late, because the plan was we were going to record on that day, and then it didn't happen. And yeah. I will say no more. <laughs> I had a glorious time in beer gardens. Alex um, rested the whole time. I required my beauty sleep. <laughs> but it was Alex's birthday. Hmm. And you, you're some age now. I am also 27. You're also 27. I was thinking maybe we could just do some 27 facts. Um, for the whole hour? Yes. I'm not sure I have that many. So it's 3 times 3 times 3. Good. It's also minus 3 times minus 3 times minus 3. We can't do this all hour. <laughs> That's also not even true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> right, stop this. It's time for some maths. So in last episode, we talked about the email bidding game, kind of unnamed email bidding game, which was a game that one of my students invented. One of our listeners, um, who you called out on air by name, and then he got in touch with us, which is a, a power that I didn't know we had. Yes, so if your name is Gregory, email the show. <laughs> but um, a listener Dallas Dickinson from Texas said, oh, I really like th- uh, that game you talked about. Have you ever heard of Nomic? Mm. And I had not. I don't think we've spoken about Nomic over the last two weeks. I'm really excited about it. Nomic is a, a minimalist game, just like the email bidding game. In some ways, Nomic takes it even further. There are very few rules at the beginning of the game, and the whole game is designing new rules for it. Okay. Um, so, it, it starts off with an intentionally boring um, aim for the game. So, every person's turn, they roll a die, and so a normal d6, and they add the number to their total, and the first person to get to 100 points wins. Like, that's made to be intentionally boring as a, as a goal. After you've done that part of your turn, you're allowed to propose a rule change. So this sounds a bit like a drinking game at first, but I, I, you can do it very much non in, not in a drinking sense. And there are various different uh, things you can do for a rule change. There are two categories of rule at the beginning of the game. There are some immutable rules, and there's a category called mutable rules. So immutable ones are harder to change. And so when you propose a rule change, you can add a new mutable rule, you can get rid of a mutable rule, you can amend a mutable rule, so add, change, or get rid of, or you can make a mutable rule immutable, or the other way around, you can make an immutable rule mutable. Right. When it's immutable, you can't do any changes to it. It's like it would take two rule changes for you to get rid of it. Can, you also, can you also change the rules about mutability and immutability? Yes, those are some of the starting immutable rules. Right. So at the start of the game, um, the first immutable rule is gameplay goes in certain order. Um, then the next one uh, is players' turn consists of rolling a die and adding points to their total. If you have 100 points or more, you win. And the next part of that is you may change a rule and it lists the different ways in which you can change a rule, right. each of which is its own immutable rule. Right. And then the last immutable rule is voting on changes is done by simple majority. In the case of a tie, it fails. Those are the only rules in the game so far. The right. mutable rules are blank. They're an empty set hmm. at the beginning. Cool. And play proceeds. Now, I was quite excited by the prospect of this. And I had access to a classroom of students. Nice. Solid yeah. resource. I know. <laughs> so my favourite maths class and I uh, played a game of it. Pure anarchy, man. How did it... Yeah, how many of you were there? And then how did it go? About 24 of us. That's including me. And I started that lesson off as the teacher of a class. I had authority. By the end of that lesson, I was like amongst one of the people in the opposition party 
of this strange democracy that we'd set up. <laughs> Why was it? Uh, how did a democracy get set up? Uh, we tore down the fascist uh, thing which uh, came up. This game, you, you know I was talking about emergent systems yeah. uh, back in the email budding, bidding game. Yeah. Man, it's nothing on Nomic. We had complicated constitutions and everything. Wow. One of the mistakes I made was I proposed, because they were starting to get contradictions in some of the rules, mm-hmm. you start getting like little paradoxical loops and things, was maybe we should have a judge where in the case of things which are... where it's not obvious how to resolve them, we should have a judge who decrees it, and that judge should be elected. Right. What happened is we then had a judge who had enough uh, sway in the class where he was giving up favours with his rules. Uh, in in return, uh, he had a group of people claiming that rules were inconsistent or paradoxical, and there were enough of them where because in the constitution it was written in that you needed at least five people to say that a rule was controversial for it to oh go dear. to the judge. Oh dear. And so they started saying everything was controversial. And oh. There was nothing we could do because the judge was on their side. The judge slowly lost power. Right, yes, people would. He, he, yeah. His party went against him. But w- one of the interesting interactions with that, which almost came off at one point, is because it was all going in surname order, uh, one person suggested that um, if you rolled a certain number on a die, I can't remember what it was, uh, then the your first name and your surname changed. Right. Um, just to, to play around with the order a bit. Yeah. And that went through. People were happy to vote in weird things like that. One of the other rules was that... I'm not going to name the kid on air, but a particular kid was the judge. And that was written in as one of the immutable rules because they managed to upgrade it. So if that kid ever rolled that number on the die, he would no longer have that name. Oh, I see. I would no longer be judge. Dropped out of being judge. <laughs> uh, but the rules written in for when a new judge was called was uh, if there is currently no judge then a n- new election for judge happens and there very clearly was a judge because it was written into the rules immutably that so and so was a judge it just happened that that person wouldn't necessarily exist oh I see now that's I, I say that as a, an illustrative example of the sorts of lawyering that we spent the whole lesson doing I see and how long are your lessons? Oh, it was an hour. An hour. Uh, I, I said we couldn't ever play it in class again. Like, <laughs> that, it could have eaten up the rest of the year. Okay, sure. Uh, <laughs> and did anybody get close to getting to 100? Uh, there was one person who we realised could have won at one point. Because at one point, uh, there was a very slapdash rule that we put in, where if you rolled a six, you can make a rule without it going to vote, but with the condition that you couldn't win that turn. It became realised that we hadn't said anything about you winning on the start of the next person's turn. Right. So if your rule was, I get 100 points, uh, next go, then you could have won. Oh, I see. But no, that that was the only time where it looked um, close. And the the point of this game is you find some sort of loophole to let you win like that. Like, the dice in most of these games goes almost immediately. Like, sometimes there's not even a win condition for a while. There are internet forums which seem to play this game. Yeah. And some of these games of Nomic are still going on from the 90s. Oh, dear. (laughs) <laughs> well you know how there's uh you know how there's dungeons and dragons real play podcasts which yep. is where you have a yeah a dungeon master you could potentially have a nomic yeah. real play podcast which is sort of five or six people just playing <laughs> nomic every episode and it just gets wild where where it lasts either five minutes one episode done or we do this for the rest of our lives yeah <laughs> yes it's a bit like um, the game... Do you know Mornington Crescent? I'm very aware of Mornington Crescent. I'm less of a radio fan, perhaps, than you are. Mm. Do you want to describe Mornington Crescent to perhaps our American listeners? Uh, Mornington Crescent is a is a game that is played on a radio show called... I'm sorry, I haven't a clue. It's a kind of fun, improv radio game thing. I, I, I imagine it's probably quite similar to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me or something like that, one of these NPR... Ones. And it's a game in which uh, the idea is to name uh, London Underground stations until somebody says Mornington Crescent and then they win. I was considering sort of doing this in in character, but I, I think I'll, I'll, I'll drop out of character and explain it. Um, yep. The point is that uh, everybody pretends that there's a set of rules and there actually isn't, and it's just a bunch of people naming stations. And when and, and when somebody goes Hoban Station, people go. Mm, the uh, you know that move very daring. 
Um, uh, yeah, he's doing the Paddington maneuver. Yeah, <laughs> things like that, which is which is the absence of rules as a game, which seems uh, seems almost opposite. Calvin Ball is the kind of American equivalent, and Calvin and Hobbes. Right. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a, a made-up sport in in that. As yeah. Well. Yeah. Maybe Mountain Crescent is quite close to a prime game. It's like the surreal version of it is the one without quite, without quite having the rule set there. Whereas Nomic, it's like I've suddenly discovered that Mornington Crescent is something that you could create. Right. Like this is the real game version of it. Hmm. Also, Nomic contains within it all other games. <laughs> That's true. That is true. <laughs> I was having this conversation during that lesson and it was like, you could make it so all of the rules were just changed to the rules of chess, and then you vote out all the rules which let you vote on other rules. Yes. For instance. Can a rule get rid of itself? I, I think we have to call the judge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at one point, one person suggested, um, because there was a dispute over a particular thing, and it was like, oh, how do we resolve that dispute? And someone suggested a sub-game of Nomic. <laughs> <laughs> That was my favourite comment of the class. Yeah. <laughs> so you and I play Magic the Gathering, and one of the uh, one yep. of the most infamous cards in that game is a card called Shaharazad, where you uh, you have to play a sub game of, of yep. Magic. Yeah, and that got lampooned in uh, comedy version of that card <laughs> that was made later called Enter the Dungeon, where you have to play a sub game, but you have to play it under the table. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, that card, the the non comedic version. Uh, people just used to delay the game if they were losing. Yeah. Uh, until the hour had gone past and there was it was a draw because you'd played several sub games within each other, nested. Which is a flavour win considering what the name is. Of, yeah, you know. Yeah. Considering what it's called, from the, it's from the Arabian Nights catalogue of uh, of myths and legends. Yeah, uh, she was going to be um, killed on the next night, um, so a thousand and one nights in a row, she said, "Oh, before you kill me." I'm going to tell you a story. Right, that's it, yeah. Yep. Cool. So, Nomic seems pretty good. And uh, what, what, what is your sense of, uh, of how wildly the games can vary? Because obviously having games going on since the 90s, 90s etc., etc., on forums is, is great, but, uh, you know, message boards are rather limited and quite slow. So maybe that would be over in, in a day if you were to do it in, in, yeah, in real in life. Person. Yeah, Um. Yeah, I I think you'd have to have a committed group of people. I think you could run it almost like a club. It it had flavours with all the lawyering going on of Model UN, hmm. where the point is almost how how well you're arguing and how well you're doing all the uh, the legal to- tomfoolery, rather than you actually trying to push anything forward. Most people were doing things because they were interesting in the game, not because it helped them win. Right, right. I, yeah, and I guess that's kind of the difference between people who've been playing it for a long time and people who are playing it for the first time I'd imagine yeah. but you know it may have only ended up that way because that's how your playgroup made it I mean yeah. if you had a different group of people like it, it could end up as drone racing <laughs> well we kept the dice element we had a whole lot of things of if you rolled this then you did this right um, whereas no reports on the internet I've read had the dice for very long at all oh really they very quickly abolished the uh... yeah yeah the win condition. Well, uh, they added in extra ones and, and did changing like that. Right. Well, we will have to play it at some point. I'm not sure it would work with two people. Well, I, I'm sure you. one of the first things you could do is write in a rule that everyone is playing. <laughs> <laughs> in in alphabetical name order and you have to go chasing everybody down. <laughs> Here, roll this dice. Who are you? Get away from me. Roll the <laughs> dice. Yeah. <laughs> You'd have that problem that was uh, a famous allegory of Chinese population, which is that if if the Chinese population were to walk past you in single file, the line would never end because it would keep adding people onto the end. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'm not sure if that's true anymore. Well, maybe it is. It maybe it is because it's not actually due to birth rates. It's just due to how many you yeah. can have an enormous population with a with an incredibly low birth rate, and that would still be true. But um, back then, uh, China had a very high population and a very high birth rate, and now it only has one of those. Um, mm. Yeah. That's an interesting thought thing. Yeah. I did not come across that before. I thought that was no. this sort of like quite 
trite thing that everybody knew. Um, <laughs> I, I'll recategorize that one in my head then. Our group of Twitter followers is small enough that we could do them in surname order. If you follow us on Twitter and would like to join a DM group where we play Nomic, that could be a possibility. They're already playing. They just don't know. They haven't even heard the episode yet. <laughs> uh, we need to set this up. Yep. I think. Uh, I already have a Google document set up. <laughs> oh, I see. You already knew this was going to happen. Uh, well, no, I didn't. I, but I set it up uh, for my class and um, I created a blank copy ready for future Nomic games. Right. So, if you would like to play Nomic with us, follow us on Twitter at Odds and Evenings and DM us there. I think we should set it so we have our DMs open by the time this comes out. Sign up that way. Just go on our Twitter. You'll see. You'll see. It'll all be updated. I didn't know we were going to do that call of action. I'm quite excited. Well, yeah. I mean, why not, eh? Yeah. I'm, I, I want to play. I don't know how people are going to prove that they rolled dice. They might have to take video of uh, them rolling dice. Well, uh, the first couple of rule changes implemented will be dealing with all of that. Yes, of course. Naturally. Yeah. Yeah, because other people just say, I rolled a six. Mm, okay, yeah, for sure. Before we even start, I need to change the rules because it says roll dice and add your points to the total. For all those hundred-sided dice owners out there, they've got an instant <laughs> way to win. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And those hundred-sided dice, they very quickly turn into spheres. Yeah, they're very spherical. Yeah, and they're also not platonic solids either because there isn't a no. hundred-sided platonic solid. So what are they? There's something slightly more interesting. They're kind of curved. They're all just triangles. But, but are they... Fair triangles, I guess. Um, The way you test a dice is you put it in a glass of water, like if it floats, and you see which side it rolls to the top. But I can imagine that if it was unfair in some way, it would be unfair in quite a symmetrical way if it was 100-sided. Like uh, They vary a lot by manufacturing. I've seen a lot of videos where people have tested D&D dice and Magic the Gathering dice. Hmm. Uh, The way that you make fake dice is you put them in the oven for a couple of minutes. Oh, does it all melt to the bottom? Yeah, you get a tiny little, just, just, just very slightly, so that they, so you get a little bit more weight on one side. That's really clever. Yeah, I don't want people to know that trick. Hmm. Well, a bit, you know. But now you know how to test them. So, yeah, you, yeah it's, uh, it's we created the defense before we created the offense. It's fine. <laughs> Last time we did zero knowledge proof of Sudoku. Yes. Now, what we're about to go through will seem completely unrelated, and then we will talk about why it's related at the end. So okay. this isn't so much of a sequel. It isn't like, a, okay, here's a zero-knowledge thingy. This is something that is related elsewhere in the world, and they come together in interesting ways in reality. But for now, it's okay. an interesting uh, maths problem. So imagine, if you will, there is a, uh, a city... And it is being sieged by some Byzantine generals yep. uh, as part of a big army. Okay. And and there is some number of these generals. Yep. Uh, the problem is, some of these generals are traitors. And so the Byzantine general's problem is, how can you get uh, all the loyal generals to decide yep. on the same plan of action? And now, quite often you make this binary. You be it like attack or retreat. Okay. And how can you make it such that a, like a small number of traitors can't cause the loyal generals to adopt a bad plan? What are the aims of each? There's a thing like we can maybe formalize it, um, but it's basically as long as all the loyal generals decide on the same thing, that's considered like a victory because they're like they've mutually agreed that yeah, okay, this is this is what we want to do. Okay. And the unloyal ones want the opposite of that. The unloyal ones kind of want to make it so that some of the loyal generals decide something else. And so this actually, before like I talk about the way that this ties together, this on its own is a problem to do with computer systems. Okay. Um, where you have, let's say, you have a bunch of... You've got six sensors measuring ocean temperature or something like that. And two of them start saying that it's way warmer than it actually is. Like, how can you create a system that automatically measures the temperature and comes to an agreement on what the on what temperature the ocean is if like two or one or some number of the sensors are, are malfunctioning in some way and yep. uh byzantine fault tolerance is how you know tolerant your system is to uh to traitors in your midst 
so the setup of this, are they all in an open forum or just able to see each other's messages, able to like communicate freely and have perfect information about what everyone else has said? Well, that's the thing about this problem is that there's different variants on it. Um, okay. The main variant is oral messages, which is to say that every message sent is delivered correctly. You know, they say yep. something and it gets heard appropriately. Uh, the receiver of the message knows who sent it and the absence of a message can be detected. Um, uh, every uh, clarification you did there hints that the opposite is also a variation. <laughs> well, yeah, but some are more interesting than others okay. when it comes to the, the, the computer science of these things. So what this means from your question standpoint is that it's secret, like you don't really know what one told the other one. Okay, I see. Let's say that you have these some number of generals, they're trying to decide attack or retreat. The question is, how do you create a system in which the loyal generals can do what is essentially the right thing without a small number of traitors messing it up? How many traitors do you need before it's pretty much guaranteed to be messed up in some way and is there any way that you can uh, appropriately make a system where like it doesn't matter how many traders you have it'll always work and things like that so do the good people the loyalists already know what the crep path is no they're trying to come to a decision okay because if they already knew if they already yeah. knew then they would just pick that one so yeah. it's it's this is this is a problem about decision making and the, the problem is phrased formally, all loyal... <laughs> see, that's the thing. Um, because you can generalize it um, to a system of a, uh, a commander and a bunch of lieutenants, um, yeah. y y it becomes a, a commanding general must send an order to his N-1 lieutenant generals such that all loyal lieutenants obey the same order. And if the commanding general is loyal, then every loyal lieutenant obeys the order he sends. Um, okay, I see. So there's ways of rephrasing this. Basically, all the good guys have to do the same thing. And then that is considered a victory. It's not about making the right decision. It's about um, eliminating dissent. So what are some feelings you have of maybe how this might come about? The place I recognize it from is games. So I'm not sure you play the resistance, but you have a loyalist camp and a defecting camp. You're trying. A mission can either be successful or unsuccessful. Mm. Actually, let's do an example which is even more in the public conscious. Uh, games like um, Werewolf or Mafia, depending on how you've dressed it up. Yeah, it's a, it's a common kind of deception game. Again, you've got two camps of people. One of which is um, one of which is the goodies, one of which is the baddies, and the baddies are trying to cause dissent. Yeah, uh, um, I used to play a board game called Shadows Over Camelot. Yes. And that has traitors in it. And interestingly, the solutions to the Byzantine generals problem, at least in the original paper from 1982, say that you cannot be Byzantine fault tolerant if you have a, uh, a third or more of your nodes as traitors. Interesting. I was thinking about a third as well. Um... I, I used to play Mafia quite a lot by the internet, by forums. Mm. And for smaller numbers of setups, you do usually have about a third Mafia baddies. And then for larger ones, that would drop away a bit as a ratio. And right. so you'd, you'd only have about four Mafia for a group of about, I don't know, 18 of you. The way that you prove this is, is you think of the three-person system. So imagine that there's a commander and two lieutenants. Yep. And uh, they will sort of communicate amongst themselves and, uh, and and decide on the best course of action. But it starts with the commander issuing orders to the lieutenants. And then the lieutenants will talk to each other to work out what the commander said. Okay. So the commander says to Lieutenant 1, attack, and to Lieutenant 2, attack. But Lieutenant 2 is a traitor. Okay. So when they, so when they then confer with each other, Lieutenant 1 will say, the commander said attack to Lieutenant 2. And yep. Lieutenant 2 will say, the commander said retreat to Lieutenant 1. Now, at this point, the lieutenant has heard attack from the commander and retreat from the traitor. Uh, the commander just thinks attack because the commander is sort of sort of supreme in this sense. 
Um, but okay. since the commander and lieutenant one were the loyal ones, well, now lieutenant one doesn't really know what to do, and and the commander does know what to do. And by the rules of the Byzantine generals' problem, that's a that's a failure. Okay, so if, if there was a third uh, Byzantine lieutenant, if they were on the loyalist side, then they could kind of vote between themselves. Ooh, there's dis- there's dissent here. What's going on? What's the actual order? And because they don't number the uh, bad lieutenant, they'd be able to decide, oh, yeah, it's probably us in the right. That is basically the solution with all messages. You go through this process of, like, the commander says to everybody, and then everybody says to everybody else what the commander said. And then the one thing that I haven't quite worked out is how many times that then happens. Okay. Um, because I can't see that happening, you know, more than what I just said. But supposedly it occurs M times where you have more than three M plus one uh, generals. So supposedly it happens again and again. But going, going back to our three-person case, um, you have the, 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 the situation where Lieutenant 1 doesn't really know what to do if Lieutenant 2 is a traitor. And you also have the completely wrong case where the commander is the traitor and the lieutenants aren't the traitor. The commander says, attack to Lieutenant 1, retreat to Lieutenant 2. And then Lieutenant 2 says, retreat to Lieutenant 1. And Lieutenant 1 says, attack to Lieutenant 2. And it's all just a big jumbly mess. And so that's not resistant. In a, th- in a three-person system, isn't resistant. Mm. But, like you said, if you add another lieutenant, well, so you just worked it through in your head there for one traitorous lieutenant. But imagine what to do for the traitorous commander. The only way that they can really appropriately so dissent is to say, like, attack, retreat, attack um, yep. to, to Lieutenant 1, 2, and 3, and then they'll vote among themselves, and then they'll they'll get to attack. You also have the situation... I'm thinking now, actually, now that I think about it, what do you do when there's four lieutenants and a commander, and you have attack, attack, retreat, retreat? Because surely that won't go very well. How many are good, how many are bad here? Oh, so I'm, I'm imagining the single bad commander and, and, and four good lieutenants. Now, the fact that the three-person one doesn't work therefore implies that you always need a third or more. They do actually kind of, they do yep. go through it in the paper as to, as to why that's the case. But it, the paper has this wonderful paragraph in it which says, This argument may appear convincing, but we strongly advise the reader to be very suspicious of such non-rigorous reasoning. <laughs> Although this result <laughs> is indeed correct... We have uh, seen equally plausible proofs of invalid results. We know of no area in computer science or mathematics in which informal reasoning is more likely to lead to errors than in the study of this type of algorithm. For, so, Wise words. Yes. Yeah. Now, Alex has sent me the PDF here, and it's dense. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's fishing with so many if statements and little subroutines and things. So you can see how this very quickly <laughs> becomes a nasty problem. There's no nice, elegant solution to this. Um, and, and this is why systems like this were a real problem for a real long time. So I, I don't think I'm going to be able to read through this paper now. I think it's one while uh, on the train I'm going to have to just uh, sit there and think heavily about. It takes a few train rides. Okay. Definitely takes a <laughs> You've been doing minutes. this for the last week, haven't you? Uh, yes. Yes, I have. Because <laughs> towards the end, it starts to go into situations where certain generals can't talk to each other and things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let me just... We'll just polish this off because... Yeah, applications. I, yes, a- a- applications for this. There is now a, uh, a subset of cryptocurrencies that use... That combine the Byzantine generals problem and zero-knowledge proofs. And so... Um, the Byzantine General's problem is kind of known as a good abstraction for Bitcoin and and deciding amongst yourselves who has what in their wallets, like what okay. people's bank accounts are in a distributed way, like the way that basically Western civilization works currently is that there are a few trusted banks and they know, like, if you want to know how much money does Alex have in his bank account, then you would go to Barclays and you would say, how much money does Alex have? And Barclays would say, this amount. And there's a single trusted authority. Um, in a Bitcoin yep. system, there is no single trusted authority. Um, and that's the okay. point of it. And it means that everybody has to decide amongst themselves how much money everyone has. 
And if one person says, I've got a million billion pounds, then you have, the system has to be resilient to, uh, to somebody saying that. Um, because when they try and buy something with it, there has to be that money there so that they can spend it. Yeah, uh, basically the, the, the transactions and the, and the balances all have to appropriately add up. But you have to yeah. agree on what the transactions were. So someone could completely lie and said, everybody in the entire system has given me one pound and you need to make a system that is resilient to one person lying in that way. And that's basically the traitor in the Byzantine general's problem. All the truthful people and, have to come to the same agreement on what is real. And so there's no equivalent of either going to the bank, the central people, and saying, ooh, can you just show us that person's bank account because we think they're lying? Or you going to the person and being like, okay, open your wallet, let's see those coins. Well, actually, so... The Bitcoin whole, has neither of those. Well, ones. the whole point of Bitcoin is that it very much has all those things going on at the same time. So okay. it's an open ledger. You know how much each wallet has in it and you're all publicly coming to a conclusion as to how much each wallet has in it now a cryptocurrency like zcash zcash but it's called zcash it manages to find a way to shield transactions so it hides the sender the recipient and the value of it and so the zero knowledge proof here is proof that a legitimate transaction has occurred and that all the numbers add up but without telling anybody how much who and what to who. But it's everybody collectively deciding who has what, but without having it open as to who has what. That's and insane. Yeah. <laughs> I I have no idea. And it's both, right? You, you've so given it's me a... enough of the ingredients here, and yet I still have no idea how you put any of those things together. It, it just sounds completely impossible. Right. So it's, How could it, it possibly be consistent? It's both Byzantine fault tolerant and zero knowledge proof. And so that's that's how these things come together. Is There's a, a subcategory of uh, of internet money now that, that has this. Like it says on their website, Bitcoin and most cryptocurrencies expose your entire payment history to the public. Zcash is the first open, permissionless cryptocurrency that can fully protect the privacy of transactions using zero knowledge cryptography. So, yeah. That's how these two things come together, is in uh, zero-knowledge cryptography and uh, and wacky magic internet money. I need to do a lot more reading on this. Oh, it's a, it's a complete... It's a complete... Well, but if you really, if you really, really want to go into it, it's pretty advanced, like, university-level cryptography. Um, okay. But, yeah, it's real. It's real. Yeah. No, it's really interesting. Um, to the listeners here, sometimes Alex or I are going to get obsessed with something and um, just write it out. Like, at the moment, my thing is prime game thinking. Alex's thing is blockchain and cryptocurrencies and things. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll get round to doing some nice things with numbers in the future yes, as well. Yes, yeah. Well, we'll go and, uh, you know, you're in a farm and there's six cows and seven ducks. And how can you arrange the ducks such that all of the cows have a duck stood on them, but nobody has no duck stood on them, and they're allowed up to three ducks stood on them, but no more? And what's the probability that when you distribute the ducks, that is how that is? You know, stuff like that. Don't actually do that. <laughs> I, came up, I came up with that off the top of my head. If anyone wants to solve that problem, go for it, but I don't care. Meaningless, right? Uh, no, it's like, uh, anyway... Uh, it abstracts to random distribution of ducks in buckets, and what's the probability that, that no bucket has more than three in it, and no bucket has less than one? Okay. Yeah. We right. need to stop using ducks. We're running out of titles that we can use. <laughs> and we've had ducks in three different episodes so far. This is the fourth. <laughs> it's the duck show! <laughs> right. Give me your next thing. Okay. River crossing problems. Mm. Are there going to be ducks in this? Uh, no. Okay. Um, so this is a whole genre of puzzles, and is one of the more ancient sort of puzzle things. Yes, we haven't touched it. I remember from being a a youth, of frequently of the the fox, the chicken, and the grain. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that one is from about 900 AD. Hmm. Um, Alcyon, or A L C U I N. Hmm. Um, just a kind of religious scholar 
It seems to be the first one that came up with it. But that puzzle has been a medieval classic and it's never really gone away. That was the first of this genre. Um, but loads of the famous mathematicians in history, as I was reading the history of these river crossing problems, have done a little bit of work on some of these along the way. Uh, the mathematician Tartaglia, who is one of the people who did loads of work, like the early work on solving cubics and quartics, like he's, he's fairly famous wow. for yeah. some proper maps mm. stuff going on here, mm. uh, also wrote quite a lot about river crossing problems. Where it just seems kind of beneath him, but these recreational mathematicians throughout history have been spending time on this. He actually got one of the things wrong, which is a bit embarrassing. Oh dear. Like, one of the cases that we're going to look at in a minute, he claims was possible and it wasn't. Wow. Um, the the particular subcategory of these I wanted to look at were the jealous husband subtype. Okay. And these have, have been around since I don't know, uh, 13, 1400. And again, lots of people have written stuff about them. They're all a bit sexist. Um, but let's just dive in. This goes head in. Yeah, why not? Yeah. You've got N couples, uh, and they're all on the same side of the riverbank. Yeah. And there's a boat, which can take two people in it. And uh, none of the husbands ever want to leave their wife alone with other husbands when they're not there. Be it on the bank or in the boat. Okay. And you want to get everyone across the river. Hmm. Um, so the, the classic one of this, with no other strings and bells attached, is you've got three men, three women. That's what I was so imagining, f- yeah. Three couples. Do you want to have a go at that that kind of, like, weigh-in, and then we'll talk about some of the generalizations? You just have a, have a go at the problem? Yeah. Okay. Uh, we haven't actually solved anything this episode. Um, I thought it would be a nice welcome break. So... Coins, maybe? That's something the listeners might have on them. Oh, I should... Yeah, God, it's not something I can do um, in my hair day. Oh, oh, well, possibly it is. I've got some counters on the um, sofa next to me, but that's because of my maths teacher. Uh, so the way I have it is I have three different types of coin. Yep. Some of them are heads and some of them are tails. If they're heads... Because they, you need to pair two people, right? You need to have some way of knowing that they're connected. I, I'm doing it by kind of location... Like, how close they are away from me or not. Okay. Well, I have... I'll be doing this heads and tails thing. And so, you say that the boat... It can take two people. Okay. And it starts on the same size as everyone. Right. Um, so everyone's on, in my mind, the left bank. They okay. go to the right. So, what I'm trying to do here is my first instinct is to send the first couple over. And okay. I'm trying to work out which type of person should be doing most of the rowing. Uh, notice here that if there's ever more girls than boys, then definitely one of them doesn't have the husband with them. So you've definitely gone wrong. Like, it's fine if there's no boys there. But if you've got some number of girls and at least one boy, you've gone wrong. Two, you can't have two wives and one husband. You can't have two wives and one husband in one place. No. Hmm. So, okay. First couple goes over. Okay. Uh, first husband comes back. Yep. Second husband. T- so two of the husbands go over. Right, now this is a bad situation because now there are two husbands in the boat. Which means that we're in a situation where there's one husband and two wives and that's not allowed. Yes. Yeah, one of the husbands has had to leave one of his, wi- well, his wife. Right, what you can't do is you can't have, like, just just... Just drop all the wives off on the other side and then let the men work out what to do. Or can you? Okay, how are you getting there? Well, so... Husband-wife goes over, husband comes back, gets out of the boat, yep. the other husband takes his wife over, comes uh, back. At that point, he is over the other side with his wife, but also the original wife. He doesn't get out of the boat, though. Imagine it like you never want a situation here where any of the husbands have any cause to be jealous. And at the moment, the people on the left bank are looking over like, ooh. Oh, I see. What's he saying to my wife on the other side? Yeah. Yep. Okay, I don't think I'm going to get there. Well, okay. Um, well, let's let's have the same first move. Okay. Hold on. Let me reset. Yep. I, by the way, I didn't look at the solution to this. Um, the three-person one, I, I thought we'd just work it out. Sure. Because there aren't that many cases, right? Right. Um, so, let's have first couple go over. Yep. Let's have husband goes back. Yes. Because the wife can't go back. Yep. 
Uh, how about the other two wives go over? Yeah. At that situation, we've got all of the husbands on the left bank and all of the wives on the right bank. Right, that's what I have, yeah. Okay. Should we send one of the wives back? Uh, yeah. Wife three goes back. Because they need to take the boat back. Yeah. Oh, and then and then they get out, and then the two, the two husband one, husband two go over. Um. Okay. Oh. Huh. But then, how does the boat come back? Can we send both the wives back? Oh no, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. How about one of the couples go back in it? Yeah, that couple goes back. Right now, you're in a situation and where then... you've got one couple fully over the other side. So this then then this becomes at this point a two-couple problem. No, it doesn't. No, that's not true. Shut up. No, but it's, it's tempting, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, and we've got the boat. So we've got the boat on the close bank. And there's two couples there, and there's a couple fully on the other bank. Okay, so two husbands over? Yeah. Original couple back? Yep, that's fine. Two wives over. Like, the two that have their husbands on the right bank. Well, now we're back to kind of where we were before. Like, how does the boat come back? But we've got two couples over there. Oh, it's the other way around. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then messy, hasn't it? Yeah. And I bet it doesn't make very good radio either. No. <laughs> so we gave up, and here's the solution. <laughs> so, uh, first couple over. Yep. Husband back. Mm-hmm. The other two wives over. Interesting. Okay. So in that situation, you've got all of the husbands on the left, all of the wives on the right. Yes. Uh, let's send the first wife back. Yeah. And let's send... Um, the other two husbands over. Yeah. So in that situation, we've got uh, two of the couples completely over. Yeah. And one couple left on the left-hand side. Yes, this is where we got to. And then yep. I don't know what happens now. Let's send a complete couple back. Yeah. So now we've got two couples on the left, one on the right. Yeah. Uh, we're going to send the two husbands over. Yeah. And we're going to send uh, the wife back. The stray wife. Yep. Yeah. At that situation, now we've got uh, all the husbands on the right and all the wives on the left. Yes, the husbands are in the destination. Which is at this the point. opposite. Yeah, yeah. We, it's the opposite of what we had a while ago. Mm. Where is the boat then? It's on the left, isn't it? Yeah. Do you want to finish it off from here? So, two wives over. Oh, and then you can just ship yep. them. Yeah, and then just one back, and then. There and back, because all the men are in the same place, so it doesn't matter what the wives are up to, so then they can, uh... Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, that problem is solvable for free. Uh, you can't solve it in just that base version with four. Interesting. Um, but what caught my interest here is I was reading a paper about it, and it was saying that if you add in an island in the middle, so it's like an extra place to deposit people, and let's say you can you can go from left thing to island, or you can go right thing. You can go island to right thing, or but vice versa. You, but you can't, can't go, go left bank to, to right bank. thing. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You can solve this for n people. Like you can you can go four or more. Hmm. Which I found surprising. I thought maybe you you could get perhaps uh, one or two more couples in. It's surprising they go straight up to infinite. Well, there must be some generalizable sort of engine at a certain point. There just... is churn out crossings yeah um, essentially it's a thing which goes in three stages the first stage of which is you get a couple to the island by the end of stage two what you've done is you've, you've got a single couple the whole way across the river and uh, the boat is back where it started on the left hand side yeah at that point it's reduced to the n-1 problem is it? somehow yeah okay so I know we worried about it when we were doing it with the free case yeah but because it has this reduction to it it means that you can do it for any number of people. Mm. Like, it's an inductive thing. Like, they've proven what the inductive step is. And so it gets you a bound, because this uh, this stage takes you eight moves. And so the general number of moves is 8n minus 6. Ah, interesting. Where you've got n couples. 8n minus 6. And the 8 comes because it's eight moves in this stage. So it's eight moves to reduce it down to the next one. Right, and then... 
and then six to wrap it all up again when you're done or to yeah. kick it off or something yeah yeah it's just to bodge the uh, the arithmetic series yeah and that's the the, the jealous version um yes right yeah right there, there are some variations where you allow the bank to bank move as well so there's a puzzleist um called Henry Judney a puzzleist that is not a word we've had before <laughs> <laughs> so, um, a, a recreational mathematician and puzzleist, Henry Ernest Judney, mm-hmm. he's the person that Martin Gardner um, idolised and wrote a lot of his recreational puzzles based on. Hmm. Okay. Um, as we, well, I idolise Martin Gardner. Um, yeah, I feel like that's wrong. Like, I feel like there's probably a layer of people in between that you should be idolising, right? Are there not puzzleists who idolise Martin Gardner that you can idolise in turn? Yeah, well, so, like, we grew up uh, reading the Marcus de Sotoy's Simon Singh's yeah, exactly. generation. Yeah, yeah. They grew up on Martin Gartner. Right, yes. Martin Gartner grew up on Henry Ernest Juni. Right. And uh, as far as I can tell, Juni was the start of all of this. The original puzzleist. Um, I, I've got his 1917 um, book, um, Amusements in Mathematics, on the sofa next to me here, um, which is where I read about these uh, river crossing problems. He's got loads of them. Hmm. Um, but he was mostly a Victorian puzzlist. Uh, the, the one you will know from him is the 15 puzzle. So you know those wooden sliding blocks? Oh, yeah, yeah, where, yeah. Yeah, 4x4 four four grid where one of the squares is missing. Very famous um, from uh, Super Mario 64, uh, Lethal Lava Land. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, well, he invented those. Hmm. And then Bowser stole it and put it in his castle. <laughs> and put eight red coins on it. This okay. is all on the shoulders of giants, right? Yeah. Overcrossing problems have been there since 900 AD. Yeah. And so, uh, do we approach any sort of standard algorithmic, like, universal way of treating these things? Is there some non-optimized algorithm you can use that will general purpose solve overcrossing problems? Um, no. Uh, they've got various different variations. Um... So the, the cannibals and the missionaries is is a, just a very small variation on the jealous husbands thing. Right. And like certain classes are all solved. So the cannibals um, and the missionaries is if there's more cannibals than missionaries, then then you lose. Then they get yeah yeah they eat them yeah. Which I think is easier to think about as a problem. Mm. But it, people have been working on this in a graph very sort of decision math sort of way. So um. Uh, there were some mathematicians who did some very early stuff in the 1966 um, called Fraley Cook and Detrick, um who solved uh, a lot of these cases mm. but there's so many variations that you can keep throwing in it that I don't think there's been a complete if the parameters are this then the answer is this sort of problem well, the I, solution to it I can imagine that the uh, you could do it quite nicely with um uh, I want to call them Markov trees. Do you know what I mean? It's the, the state space thing with the arrows yep. going between them. And that maybe some nice graphical thing will drop out of that. As in, as in, um, you, you'll be able to get some visual intuition at a layer of abstraction that you don't just from, you know, watching foxes and chickens go across on boats. Yeah, just doing the trial cases. Yeah. Uh, for those of you listeners who have access to JSTOR, I'll put a, a link to a 1989 article, which is really good, which has some of that sort of thing. Uh, it, but it's the sort of thing which is hard to describe. Could you, for those of us who definitely don't use Sci-Hub for this type of thing, could you just give the name of the paper out at some point? That'll be in the show notes too. The Jealous Husbands and the Missionaries and Cannibals. It's by Ian Pressman and David Singmaster. There we go. So if you have access to anything else... Uh, to to get stuff like maybe like maybe you're, you're an Elsevier uh, uh, subscriber or something like that, then that's what it's called. It was from the Mathematical Gazette, um, volume seventy three, number four five four. Nice. Is that yep. what we've come to now? Uh, we have we've... a whole lot of back copies of the Mathematical Gazette. I think from the eighties at work. Nice. I might be able to find a physical copy of this. Nice. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So, as usual, lots of community feedback. A few different things, actually. Um, most of it centred around these ducks again. Um, so, if you remember from last week, we had the problem of uh, 
what is the probability that if you look at a circular pond that all the ducks will be on one side of it? And uh, it went down quite well. So, Alaric, uh, where do you want to start? Uh, well, we, lots of people gave us basically the uh, same solution. Mm. Um, uh, it turns out it's a fairly famous problem, not with ducks in it, but with endpoints in a semi-circle. Right. And um, we, on the episode, we had what turned out to be the correct general formula, which was n over 2 to the n minus 1. Yeah. For n points. Um, what we wanted was either a proof or a good way of thinking about it, which gave the intuition as to why that was true. Uh-huh. Loads of people gave us the solution. Mm. So um, lots of them we've heard from before. Andrew Slattery, Tom Verdun, Thomas Furness. Um, someone on Reddit uh, who hasn't uh, called us before, but Leet Noob. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea is this. Imagine you pick one of the ducks. You're going to go for the semicircle clockwise from that duck. Yeah. Each of the other ducks, the n minus one of them, can be... They've got half chance of being in that right category. Correct. So, the total probability that they're all in that same category is 2 to the n minus 1. Yes. Uh, so, it's, it's like a half all to the power of n minus 1. Yeah. So, it's 1 over 2 to the n minus yeah. 1. Yeah. But, that first duck, you could have picked the very first one, or you could pick the next one, or the next one, or the next one, uh, and so, so on. Ah, so you have that many chances at it. Yeah, you've got n chances. Mm. So, the whole thing is n times half to the end minus which one. is kind of where we got at the end of last week but I couldn't yeah the whole end chances thing wasn't wasn't really appropriately clicking with me yeah but that is that is right yeah okay yeah awesome it's just quite neat yeah um, so good that that is both the proof and the intuition nice which is double whammy yeah so thank you guys yeah slam duck <laughs> one of the things that we were doing was thinking about it in higher dimensions okay so I, I worked on this with some of my students and we looked up uh, some of the results and we worked on some of it and it all had a really neat solution so I just wanted to talk you through it hmm. imagine you've got n ducks in a sphere and the problem is well let's do n points in a sphere what's the probability that they're all in the same hemisphere right um there's a nice generalization you can do for however many dimensions you want on this. So, here's the, the equivalent of the 2D one, and then how to improve it. On the 2D one, imagine you've drawn out your Pascal's triangle. My Pascal's triangle. Yep. Okay, so one yes. This, on bit, the top uh, this row. is out of left field, but yes, yes. Carry on. <laughs> uh, one on the top, then one, one, then yep, one, two, one, two, one, and yep. so on. Yep. Um, what are the sums of each row? Uh, one, two, four, eight, and so on. Yep, it's just powers of two. Yeah. If you add up the first two numbers on each row, so the top row only has one number, yeah. so it's just one, and then you put it over the total sum of that row, so it'd be one over one, mm-hmm. then it'd be one plus one, which is two, over two, which again is probability one. The next one, if you add up the first two numbers on that row, which would be 1 plus 2, which is 3, out of 4. Hmm. Then the next one would be 1 plus uh, 3 over 8. Wow, it's doing the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it gives the right answers. Um, but, more pleasingly, if you go up a dimension into spheres and hemispheres... Then you add up the first three numbers on each row. Oh, wow. <laughs> How did you come across this? Um, there was... It, the proof we found online for this didn't talk about Pascal's triangle at all. It had it all in horrible summation and choose notation. And it took us a while to to realise, oh, wait, no, that's just Pascal's triangle stuff. Yeah. Um, but it, that's the general solution for n dimensions. Wow. As a sanity check here... If you take it down a dimension, if you do the 1D variation, yeah. that's um, you've got a line. What's the chance that all the ducks are in the same half of the line? Right. Well, the adding the first number 
on each Pascal's triangle is just one. Yeah. So it's one over one, one over two, one over four, one over eight, etc. Yeah. Well, that makes sense because with n ducks, it's like a you're times it by a half every time. Hmm. And then, so what's the probability that all the ducks are on the same side of the of the of, of the same like singular point in zero dimensions? <laughs> zero. Zero. <laughs> over one. <laughs> zero over two. Yeah. Yeah. Which is Matt's way of saying "shut up, Alex." <laughs> Um, a nice thing of this is when you're in M dimensions then the first M rows give you a probability of 1 so if you're on the 2D problem then with 2 ducks or 1 duck you have a probability of 1 in 3 dimensions 3 ducks are always in the same hemisphere yeah. In four dimensions, four ducks are always in the same hyperhemisphere, or whatever the whatever word is. it's called. Nice. I know. Well, that's good. Yeah. Are we ready to talk about Snakey? I think we are ready to talk about Snakey. Um, so, as well as my cat and myself looking at the waveform being generated on my computer, uh, there is another person here. In snake form, um, our friend Lily for my birthday made me a plush snakey. Yeah, because that's apparently skills that some people just have, and they can do that, and it's amazing. <laughs> uh, he's like a foot and a half long. He's massive. <laughs> he's so expressive. I, um, I know that we said we would go to a Chinese factory, but, but <laughs> I mean we've got our prototype now, so uh, we could definitely take photos. Love him. Uh, we'll, we'll put photos up on Twitter. Snakey is large and soft, and uh, really quite a good consistency. Uh, yeah. I had the I had the pleasure of uh, of you know spending some time with Snakey, and uh, it's good. It's great. Thank you very much, Lily. Now, so me and Alaric hold Snakey in very high regard. And I mean, I mean the 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 abstraction snakey, not just that one particular plush snakey, which is fantastic. Don't get me wrong, but snakey came up in one episode. I don't even know which episode it was. <laughs> he's in the title. Okay, I think it's episode seven. And uh, we haven't stopped talking about snakey since. But snakey has not come into any problems. So, I um, in uh, if your name is Gregory and you're emailing the show because your name is Gregory. <laughs> If you also know any problems that involve Snakey, which is, I guess, think about Snakey as four squares in a row and then two squares that are also in a row, like, plopped on the end to look like a little head. So, I guess, one, two, three, four along, then one up, and then one to the right. Yep. Um, we, can't, we, want, we want more Snakey problems. So if anyone knows where Snakey turns up elsewhere, or any ways that we can just sort of find an excuse to talk about Snakey, then uh, uh, let oh, us know. Alex. I, I have a thing about uh, give me some time to prepare it I have a problem involving block snakes in 3D oh good oh good <laughs> give me some time I'll prepare something mm. it. and then the last piece of listener feedback was something that we've already tweeted out um, which was something I completely didn't understand because I thought it was talking about the duck problem and I was like what <laughs> What is going on? So I need you to explain this one. Um, So Tom Verdun, listener, uh, created a beautiful visualization of the plane problem. It's completely animated up. He's coded it up and it's fantastic. So the plane problem being the one about you on the planet and there's like fuel and you've got to refuel the plane. It was in the like most recent two episodes. Yeah, it was episode 11. Yeah. But he's... if you want a good visualization of that with exactly what the fuel is at every point around the planet and like when the refueling happens and things, it's you can't do better. Hmm. It's great. Good. Thank you very much, Tom. Yeah. Right, so now let's move on to the final bit. So if you're new to listening, what we do is at the end of every episode, rate how satisfied we were with the different problems that we discussed and all the different things that we did. So, starting with Nomic. How satisfied were you, Alaric? Um, let's go five. It was mostly just you telling a story. 
Yeah. Um, which is fine. <laughs> which is fine. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I think I'll go for something similar. Uh, I'll go for... Oh, sorry. For the records, for people who go back into this in like 20 years' time. Five. Five from Alex. Um, the next was the Byzantine General's Problem. Um, which I just sort of kind of explained. And the main accomplishment of that particular section was helping you come to terms with how difficult this problem is. Yeah, yeah. two. Um, I I like the zero knowledge stuff, and I, I like you talking about this blockchain thing, but the problem itself is it's very difficult to get a grip on it, because it's almost like a whole class of problems. It is. It's almost like a whole topic. It is. Yes, it is. Um, but it's it's neat to think about. I think if I, I might go back to some zero knowledge stuff and bring a bit more of that in because I did enjoy that. Um, mm. So yes, very nice little nice little nice little blockchain diversion. But um, I think uh, potentially there w- would err on the side of zero knowledge proofs rather than Byzantine general problem stuff in the category of maths connected to blockchain. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and then we talked about boat crossing. Generalized boat crossing problems. Uh, I, I, you know, I tried something, didn't go very well. We tried something that also didn't go very well. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I guess I kind of understood the thing in the end, and it was a nice result, the one about the island. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's just a surprising result, which, which is why I brought it up. Mm. I, I think a lot of people would be familiar with these sorts of problems anyway. Yeah. yeah. But, but just seeing that nice, oh, it's possible for infinite. Yeah. Wait, you know what that kind of thing reminds me of, though? Because this is discrete, it just yeah. does make me think of Conway's Game of Life. Like, okay. you know when there's the thing that you can do to create, like, an infinite number of gliders or something? Like, you have a machine that churns it out. I like this idea um, of this... Gospel's like, glider gun. Yeah. I like this idea of this iterative machine that just spits out couples onto the other bank. Yeah, you know, what, do you know? Is, is that a bit weird to connect those two together? Um, yeah, <laughs> those those kind of they feel similar in my head. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, and uh, I mean, the glider gun is used to create all of the like wiring and stuff that people do when they're simulating stuff in Conway's Game of Life. Oh dear, we're touching on Prime Games again. <laughs> Could you? Well, I, I was thinking simulation. If you want to uh, make your couple crossing the river Turing complete or whatever. Oh, <laughs> Turing complete river crossing problems. I'm not sure it all connects up. No. Let's just throw some math squares out there. Yes. Four. Four. Uh, let me see, what would mine be? I liked it. Six. So, overall, relatively low ratings, but I feel like we had a good time anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Because the satisfaction is based on how satisfied we were with our mathematical performance, not on how good of a time we had. And, yes, uh, I've, I've had a good time. <laughs> yeah, no, I have as well. Yeah, cool. Uh, I think they've all been things we've been thinking about for a while and wanted to get off our chest. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I've been reading this Byzantine Generals problem paper for the last couple of weeks, actually. And uh, oh, me dum dum, Alaric, me dum dum, me no can do. So, mm. gonna put that one to the side for now. I guess I was really hoping if I just read the original paper, I would be able to produce a nice, easy explanation of it um, in, term- in terms of the solution, but. It's not the best written thing in the world, um, so it's still out there. I'm, I'm going to put a bit of more backburner effort into it to try and try and see if I can come up with something very simple to explain it, because okay. uh, it seems like nobody really can. But nonetheless, thank you everybody listening for joining us on this episode of Odds and Evenings. We hope you had a good time. Uh, we certainly did have a, a lovely time. If you would like to get in touch with us, we have a website, oddsandevenings.com. On that website, there is a feedback form. You can fill that in. It will land in our appropriate uh, email place that we look at. We also have a subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash oddsandevenings. We also have a Twitter, which is like our main place, uh, twitter.com slash oddsandevenings. If you would like to potentially join in this potential game of Nomic we might potentially be doing in Twitter DMs, then uh, hit us up there, um, DM us, and and say you're in. Uh, where else are we? Oh, I have a Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash speakmouthwords, and uh, that's usually it. 
Sorry we were late. Oh yeah, this one's coming out late. Thank you for listening to it. I have been Alex. Uh, and I have been Alex. Good night. I think there's lots of bits you can edit out of that. But I think we've got the uh, the kernel of a story there. Yes, yeah. There's lots of times of me trying to wrap it up and move it along. And then it doesn't. <laughs> um, I think some of the bits can be reordered as well. I think there's a more natural orders to that narrative. Hmm. Okay. Because it was just us saying facts as they came into our head. That, that's the and whole then... show, Elric. <laughs> <laughs> which one, do you know which one you've been listening to this whole time? <laughs> Uh, once I've, I've got awfully tangled. <laughs>